I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we do on the show... Uh, Well, if this is your first time, I'll tell it to you. If you've heard it all before, I'm sorry. What we do is we take a piece of pop culture, we condense the story of that pop culture, but also we reveal how that pop culture either deliberately or subconsciously has related to and been influenced by real history. Because, as I've said before, everything is influenced by history. It just is, okay? So this time round, I'm going to be talking to you about statues. But they're just statues. Only when you see them. And you might be sitting there going, hey, hang on, hang on. I've come here for the video games and the movies and the comic books and the Warhammer statues. They're not pop culture. And I'm going to turn around and argue with you that they are and have been for a lot longer than cinema has ever existed. No one quite knows where they came from, but they're as old as the universe, or very nearly. So if this sounds interesting, we're going to go on a three and a half thousand year journey. Yeah, I know. Covering multiple different continents and talking about very thorny subject of identity and culture, racism, religion, and pretty much all the things that could get me into trouble. Whoa, this is heavy. Let's deep dive into this. Um, There's no point explaining to you what a statue is. You know what one is. But let's talk a little bit about how they've been influential by history and also how they stopped existing for a thousand years in the West. Interesting, yeah? So let's take our minds back because everybody remembers this, to the 1300s, not even AD, I'm going to the 1300s BC. Because in those days, there was a pharaoh in Egypt who came up with such radical ideas that when he died, and indeed his son died shortly after him, he became dubbed the heretic. And people went round trying to destroy his statues and scrape off his inscriptions. If there was an image of him on the side of a temple, they would deliberately strike off and smash the face of this heretic pharaoh. Of course, there were two periods in my own lifetime where there'd been a serious level of destruction of statues. First of all, there was the fall of the Soviet Union, where over the previous 70 years, 
thousands of statues are being put up to Karl Marx and Lenin, etc. And so when that society, when that form of government and economics collapsed in the early 1990s, then unsurprisingly, people wanted to turn their back on those figures. There are indeed museums that exist today in Russia that have like collections of some of these sort of totalitarian or communist statues that are out there right now. But yes, you would unlikely, in let's say in 1975, you could have gone into the town centre of a local town in Ukraine and there would have been a statue of Lenin. That would not be the case today. And when did it all change? All when it collapsed in the early 1990s. Then in 2003, you got the invasion of Iraq. And once again, you see a fairly well-established regime collapsing. Saddam Hussein is gone. Now, I'm not talking about the pros and cons of the Iraq war here, but one of the enduring images of it is in the middle of Baghdad, a huge statue of Saddam Hussein being torn down by the local people and then the, the local men smashing it with their sandals. Now, for the record, that's a cultural thing. The dirtiest thing you have is the sole of your shoes, and therefore all these people hammering this thing with the sole of their shoes or sandals is a sign of how much they hated the guy. So both of these are major political moments associated with statues. Now, this, I'm going to say weirdly, even though this is nearly three and a half thousand year old story, is something that has grabbed the popular imagination. We can't name many ancient pharaohs. There were 28 dynasties with dozens of kings and pharaohs, I should say, in amongst each of the dynasties. There are literally hundreds of them, and yet, the one that everybody can name is Ramesses the second, the great. Then probably Tutankhamun, because he had some cool stuff in his grave. Can you see anything? Yes. Wonderful things. And then maybe you get his dad, Akhenaten. Akhenaten basically created the first monotheistic religion. There is this huge debate, it's a very controversial debate, about how we've always talked about the different gods of ancient Egypt. However, very recent, yet to be filtering into the rest of Egyptology, there is this debate that every time the gods are mentioned, you know, be it Thoth or Horus or Ra or whoever, they're not plural. They're not the gods. They're the god. And it does seem that one of the arguments, and I've, I've heard this argument before from Hindus, is that what you've got is the key god. In Egypt, it would be Ra. In Hinduism, it would be Vishnu. And what every single one of these other gods is, is a reflection of Ra or Vishnu. Now, this gets complicated because, of course, these other gods go off and fight amongst each other and sometimes even sort of like stand up against Vishnu or Ra and it all gets a bit schizophrenic, quite frankly. It doesn't kind of make sense. The reason why we think of them as different is because they look different, they act different, they act independently, they sometimes fight amongst themselves, kill each other occasionally. So you can understand why it's very easy to go that way. However, if we are going to start thinking about the almost unknowable nature of the divine, then the argument of you don't understand it, well, that's the point, because you're not divine, Ra Almighty is. My subject is God's mysterious ways, but um, uh, God's.
God's mysterious ways. It's a really interesting conversation. We could go on for, for quite some time, but undeniably, what Akhenaten did is he deliberately made rather one true God, and everybody had to start praying to him, and also he set up his own city, you know, from scratch, a new capital city that was the basis of this religion as well. And he probably would have got away with it. And I would have succeeded hadn't been for these meddling kids. Had it not been for the fact that towards the end of his, his reign, we start getting natural disasters and some bad harvests. And so it looks like the old gods are angry and it, it limps on into Tutankhamun's reign. And the thing is about Tutankhamun, the reason why we've got all the cool stuff. He ruled for a very short amount of time. He was basically a teenager at the time of his rule. He was never a Ramesses II. He was never a, you know, all these other great rulers through the thousands of years of ancient Egyptian history. That's the amazing thing. It just stretches on for so long. The, the fact of the matter is, it's because Tutankhamun was a bit rubbish and died young. And he was sort of shoved into basically a makeshift. The tomb itself was not designed for him. And they just put in a load of grave goods and then the front of it collapsed. And because everybody forgot about him very quickly, that's why it wasn't graved Rob. And while he's a very minor player in ancient Egyptian history, and this is the thing, it's like, well, if he's a minor one and we're all blown away by his grave goods, imagine what somebody like Ramesses II would have come up with. Or indeed, all the I mean, Ramesses comes after the, the building of the pyramids. What on earth was in the pyramids when they were first built? But of course, you put something that big and cool in the middle of the desert and say, yeah, yeah, there's some sacred people in there. Don't go in there. It's, it's a red rag to a bull. And of course, it was stripped way before any Westerners came to ancient Egypt. There we go. So that, that's the background. So what we've got here is an example of society changing. And because there are these physical identities of these people, of this pharaoh, they go for them. That is a symbol of their power. We are going to strike down that power. It's almost impotent because, of course, he's dead and buried, literally. So it achieves nothing. And in the future, it's created history for us. We can literally see, scratched into the stone, how much these people hated him after he died which is a piece of history, is as legitimate as the building of the statue in the first place, which is fascinating. And yes, if you're not beginning to see a dotted line coming to the year 2020, then keep up, will you? Try to keep up, okay? So the thing is, the ancient Egyptians love statues. Apparently, I mean, I haven't counted them all, but there are allegedly more statues in Egypt today than there are in the rest of the world put together. That's how much they love statues. And the thing is, when I say statues, you, you know what I mean, but then you start thinking about, well, yeah, Aztecs didn't have statues. Imperial China didn't have statues. The Ottoman Empire didn't have statues. Why, why is that? Because this is an example of public works. And in these other cultures, building other things other than a great giant figure of a person is what was expected of you. Let's move forwards. We get to the era of, you know, I mean, flipping forwards by about 800 years, we now get to the height of the Hellenic civilization in Greece. And yeah, they love their statues. We all know about those statues. And it's the same thing with the Romans a few centuries later. And the thing is, though, that even at the time of the Romans, we're now moving into the first century AD, we still get statues 
you know, this is one and a half thousand years after the actually we should talk about statues in in ancient egypt they go back three thousand years so we're going way way back and still they're a thing in the mediterranean and obviously the roman empire goes beyond the mediterranean basin however we get unpopular emperors or emperors where people were trying to rewrite the story after they died two classics would be caligula and nero both first century a.d rulers their statues are damaged by subsequent generations they want to get at them okay fair enough and indeed there is a period of such instability in the roman empire that there are a number of examples of statues with removable heads and arms so in other words there's the standard body of somebody in some roman armor maybe a toga or whatever it's like who's it this year oh it's severus it's the genuine roman emperor he was the last one standing after the year of the five emperors that gives you an idea of how much churn there were in the roman era there's also a year of the four emperors as well so lots of stuff going on and therefore it was economical to just say right okay new guys in has he got a beard he's got a beard right okay let's get a head with a beard on it there we go stick that on and uh, oh he's a warrior or no no he's a poet okay let's stick on an arm where he's holding a scroll no he's a warrior okay let's stick on an arm where he's holding a gladius sword so yeah that that's a really clever economic way of doing it so it shows you how utilitarian some of these statues were but then with the collapse of the roman empire in the west europe stops building statues if you look at the early medieval era and certainly into the medieval era just not a thing you know the anglo-saxons when they wanted to build something impressive and and this is something that was very close to the evolution of christianity in europe because if you were a good let's say anglo-saxon king you wouldn't have spent your money to show how awesome you were on a statue that was the old ways of doing things. Was there so last season? No, what you do is you pay enough money that people could perhaps build a modest monastery or maybe a chapel or something like that. Of course, a cathedral if you're really into this stuff. So what's really interesting is the money still being spent. There's this concept of basically civic or public art You've seen it all the time. You know, in the 1960s, there's loads of it in Britain. All these sort of mosaics that are slapped on an underpass of a motorway. And it's sort of like, it's to brighten up the place. It's like, okay, fair enough. 10 out of 10 for trying, 0 out of 10 for actual artistic integrity. During the Great Depression in America in the 1930s, a lot of money was spent on these public displays of, of impressive stuff. And when you look at, interestingly, one of the things that America and communist Soviet Union have in common is they spent quite a lot of money of art in public places, i.e. hubs of transport. You can go into the Moscow subway and there are literally chandeliers and there's literally beautiful artwork there because it's for the people by the people but that rather socialist concept there it is writ large in somewhere like grand central station in new york where again we get this sort of it's not making the top dogs impressive it's showing everybody the people impressive so going all the way back to the middle ages the idea of building a statue to you, you know why are there no statues to william the conqueror because he never built any, because it didn't occur to him. He was too busy giving endowments to monasteries and churches and things like that. I mean, amongst killing people as well and running a country. You, you get my point. So, yeah, it just stopped happening for about a thousand years in Europe. And then we get to the Renaissance. 
Now I've done a whole thing about did the Renaissance really happen or not. What I mean by that is, let's face it, the amazing art being produced in places like Florence and Rome, how did that affect the peasantry of France? Not at all. Seeing something like the Sistine Chapel, which I've seen, and is breathtaking, make no mistake about it, is one of the greatest pieces of art ever created by any human being on planet Earth. But how many people actually saw that in the, let's say, 1600s when you know, Michelangelo's long dead? Even by then, you could number them in the hundreds because it's only cardinals and popes who got to see it. The Sistine Chapel is not open to the general public or, or anything like that. You do get the very famous statue of Michelangelo's David in Florence. This is David as in Old Testament, David versus Goliath, which is why he's holding a slingshot over his shoulder. And this is, for the record, my wife's favourite piece of art anywhere. When I last went to Florence with her, we went into the gallery and she was coming around the corner and she, I'd never been before she had. And she was sort of like, oh, he's this way, he's this way. She was as excited as somebody going to see a band in a concert or, dare I say it, meeting an ex that you still kind of have a crush on. And when you see the size of David, I can't compete. Also, wonderful abs there, David. So the point is that it's not until the Renaissance era when these great artists are literally looking back at these Roman and Greek beautiful statues from a thousand plus years earlier that they get the idea of maybe we should do these civic art, not just of of churches, or if you like, something like the Sistine Chapel is a great compromise between the two. It's, it's a very new idea of art in the standard thing of let's make a chapel, shall we? Whereas David is very much going back to the Roman days of let's have a piece of a statue specifically, but in a town square where everybody can enjoy it and everybody can go, ooh, aren't we impressive? It creates a sense of civic pride because we've got David and Paris doesn't, for example. So yeah, it's at the time of the Renaissance, basically by the 1500s, we start getting statues being reintroduced throughout Europe and it catches on. You know, you're into the 1600s and there are statues, particularly of kings on the back of horses everywhere. It could be Charles I in England, it could be Louis XIV in France, they're just everywhere, okay? We see this evolution in the change of tastes, and pretty much once they're back, they never go away. I mean, occasionally you get something like Napoleon, rather than building a giant statue to himself, you could argue nobody knows what in the ancient past or in the past, unless somebody wrote it down, we don't know what old dead dudes were thinking because we just don't know. It's conjecture. But why did he build the Luck de Triomphe rather than an absolutely gigantic statue to himself? It's probably best guess, filling in with these kind of revolutionary principles where you shouldn't perhaps put one guy up on a pedestal too much. I mean, he did crown himself Emperor of France. Up until then, you'd only ever had Kings of France. So the guy clearly thought quite highly of himself. The other thing is that the Luc de Triomphe wasn't completed until after A, he was kicked out of power and B, he died. So he did come up with the, well, he came up with the concept other people did the building and designing, but it wasn't actually completed until much later. And it's based on a much bigger version of a Roman triumph. 
So basically, when a Roman general did something particularly amazing, they would be given a triumph, a huge procession through Rome, and there would always be a slave on their chariot with them, whispering into their ear that you're going to die. And this is very fleeting, a kind of memento mori, a reminder of death. That slave must have hated that job because you, you really are being the party pooper at that point. But anyway, it was definitely a procession. And sometimes you also got literally a stone or marble arch to show how awesome you are for the next generation to be reminded of your great victories. And this kind of picked up again in the 1800s, not just in France, but also in, in Britain as well and some other places too that were influenced by this concept. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Interestingly, the last thing I'll do about Great Arches is you get to the Third Reich and Hitler, and he had a real inferiority complex about this stuff because his plan after the end of World War II was to build a huge amount of monumental structures, not just statues, but these giant structures like a new Reichstag that was so huge, it would have actually accrued this massive dome that would have actually developed its own clouds up in the top of it, unless they put in some air conditioning because it was that large and the moisture would have risen to the to, to the ceiling and would have ended up raining down. Amazing. Although he's obviously terrible for the record. But the other thing he specifically wanted to do was to build a Lac de Triomphe or a Triomphe de Triomphe, uh, you know, whatever it is in German, which was specifically in every dimension larger than the Lac de Triomphe in France to show how much better Germany was. So it would have been taller, it would have been wider, it would have been heavier, its volume would have been greater. In every possible way, it was much bigger and therefore better than the Lac de Triomphe to show all the great victories of the Third Reich, you know, throughout World War II. Good job none of this stuff was ever built, eh? So the point here is that when I mentioned the Sistine Chapel, dozens of people would have seen it every year. 
But once we have something like David in a town square, thousands of people would be seeing it every week. You know, probably the same thousands of people who live in Florence, but it started to create things like tourist industry. Italy became a place to go from the 1700s onwards. And so statues kept being built again and again and again. I'm going to talk about a very famous one in Britain. It's a place that used to be called Charing Cross. And for those Londoners, you'll be going, oh, that's why the nearest station's called Charing Cross. But then ended up becoming known as Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar was the last and arguably greatest battle by the great British Admiral Horatio Nelson, who died in 1805 at the Battle of Trafalgar. Kismet Hardy. What did you do that for? You said, kiss me hardy. Kismet. I said, kismet hardy. Trafalgar itself is long way away from London. But in memory of Nelson, who gave his life to protect this country from potential invasion by Napoleon and his armies, who obviously kept up his sleeveys. Sorry, every time I say that, I just, I have to put in that joke there. Apologies. And there's this absolutely gigantic structure that was put in to this area and pedestrianised. On the edges, there are pools and fountains and things like that. Then you've got these three gigantic metal lions sitting down, each one pointing out at 90 degrees from each other. And then there's this huge square with, again, a massive brass, I think it's brass, relief showing each one of his four great victories, including his death at Trafalgar. And then there's this huge column, and then right at the top of the column there is this massive, much larger than life-size, Nelson. It is the biggest, most impressive structure ever built to any kind of military person in British history. But then again, the guy did die, and the guy was genuinely a great admiral. You know, if you're a maritime historian, or military maritime historian, Nelson, he may not be number one. You know, there may be some arguments about a couple of other people, but he's definitely in the conversation. Simple as that. So, once that was built in the 1800s, way after he died, we start getting other statues being put into the area. And indeed, my favourite one, apart from... Nelson is actually ABC, Andrew Brown Cunningham, who was a key admiral in the British Navy, in the Royal Navy, I should say, in World War II. He's a great story. Don't have time to go into him now, but everybody referred to him as ABC. He was loved by the Navy and he did some very clever stuff in the Mediterranean in World War II. So we start getting these other things being put in here. But now, in the 21st century, we're starting to have these conversations about yeah, but. There is no doubt that Nelson died bravely. There's no doubt that he was a great admiral. And there's no doubt that he stopped a potential invasion of Britain by Napoleon. But this is a man who had a very torrid extramarital affair. Lord Nelson's famous signal at the Battle of the Nile. England knows Lady Hamilton is a virgin. Poke my eye out and cut off my arm if I'm wrong. And who... At the time, slavery was just about to be finished, ended in the British Empire, but he was still clearly quite pro-slavery. And if you want to dig around, you'll find negative comments about other races, i.e. racism. So there are some people turning around saying he was a racist, he was pro-slavery, let's get rid of the statue. And I'll turn around and say, okay, but were those ideas of their time? 
And is this statue a monument to his views on racism? And the answer is no. These are views of his military successes, which no doubt kept this country safe. There are some very you know, cool, noble people today in Britain and in other countries that are absolutely know all the rights and wrongs and are the most politically correct individuals out there who beat hands down somebody like Horatio Nelson. But apart from that incredibly clever and sensitive reading of society and racial tensions and things like that, what else have you done for the country? You given your life to stop it being invaded by a foreign nation? I'm going to say Nelson should still be up there. Yes, his ideas are outmoded, but this is where we get into the tricky situation of why is the statue there in the first place? What's the statue showing? And also, who is going to be clear of all wrongdoing 100 years after they die? Now, I've shown you that the idea of we are angry, we are mad, this person does not represent us anymore goes all the way back to ancient Egypt goes back nearly three and a half thousand years. So people getting angry at statues is nothing new. But we get some people saying, look, the statues teach us history. And I'm going to turn around and say they really don't. Everything I've just said about Trafalgar Square is there kind of for a reason, because I, I know about it. There isn't a huge amount of text there. And usually when it comes to statues, you will probably get a name and their dates, and that's probably it you will not get like four paragraphs of this is why this person was impressive. I'll actually give you one other example about the whole Trafalgar Square and what's going on and, and the Charing Cross and linking it all the way back to before statues is Charing Cross Station and indeed the area of Charing Cross, now Trafalgar Square, was so called because it had one of the Eleanor Crosses on it. Edward I, King of England in the late 1200s into the early 1300s, he very much loved his wife, Eleanor of Castile. And when she died, he ordered her body to be basically brought to London. And every place it stopped overnight, a little memorial, not a statue, but a little memorial cross, a stone cross was erected. And indeed, Charing Cross is one of those places. Now there is literally a copy of the Eleanor Cross at the front of Charing Cross Station, which is just a stone's throw from Trafalgar Square. But it ain't the original because all of these are sort of what got broken and burnt down and destroyed and whatever. You know, they've all been through it. I mean, they are 800 years old, give or take. There's some reasons why they might not have lasted all those centuries. But it's another example where, going back, these people are not building statues. They're building these other things instead. But again, this is a king talking about his wife. And if you don't know that, you don't understand why that cross is there. There's no sort of hard and fast explanation. It's the same with all these statues. So for the people saying, don't tear it down, it teaches history. No, they don't. The key one in Britain, at least, was on the 7th of June 2020 in Bristol, when a statue of Edward Colston was kicked down. This statue of a 17th century slave trade owner, Edward Colston in Bristol, stands no more. It was actually chucked into the water. And this is the thing. If you have a passing knowledge and interest in history, Nelson is one of these names that is so big, most people have at least heard of it. I've also mentioned Napoleon and Hitler. These are names that are so big, everybody's got a little bit of knowledge about these individuals. Edward Colston? Anybody? No? So here's the thing. What the people objected to was the fact that this man made his money from the transatlantic slave trade. 
This is true. The man paid for the statue for himself. This is true. And it's basically showing off about how awesome he is without any kind of context about he made all his money off this back of all this human misery. This is also true. And therefore, when it was announced on this on the news, it was like this slaver from the 1700s, the statue's being thrown into the water. But as always, it's more complicated than that. Because actually, if all he did was make his money from slavery, he would never have been allowed to have a statue erected in Bristol. There was probably another reason for it. And actually, it turns out he was. He was an MP for Bristol, representing Bristol for over a decade. And he spent a lot of this money made from slavery. Yes, it shouldn't have been a slaver. Absolutely. But did he spend it all on wine, women and song? No. He actually spent it on a number of hospitals and almshouses and poorhouses. He wanted to, in the 1700 version, he wanted to give some of the money back to the poor, to the people who needed the money the most. That's not a bad thing, but he shouldn't have made money from slavery. Should we have chucked his statue into the water? I don't know, but suddenly, for a couple of days, the name Edward Colston, who hadn't been in a newspaper for 300 years, was suddenly news and in, in like news cycle and things like on the BBC and stuff like that. Suddenly we're, we've got a name again. The monument to Edward Colston, which had stood in the city centre for more than a century, was toppled and pushed into the river. And this is the thing, 99.9% .9 of people in history get forgotten, even the rich and powerful ones. If you go up to a statue in your local town and you, you don't know anything about it, just look at it and go, can I guess? Have I got an idea? Not sure. And so, yeah, th this is the thing. And, and when you walk up to it, you'll probably get a name and some dates go, huh, okay. That was George IV, King of England. Don't know anything else about him? Off I go. <laughs> and this is, so that's the other issue. We start getting the point about, well, you know, let's tear down this and let's tear down that. As I've said, this has happened in the past and this is a part of history. But are you erasing the name of Edward Colston? No. He's still in other records. The history is not being destroyed. You just destroyed a statue. Now, should the statue be up in the first place? I don't know. Maybe it should be taken out of a public place and but put somewhere else. But to try and erase history put you into a very dangerous situation where if we got rid of every single person associated with slavery in any public space in Britain, that makes it easier for some people to turn around and say, well, you know, Britain was never really into slavery. Where's the evidence? Show me the statues. They're all gone. So that's the problem. And then who do we erect statues of nowadays? Of course, 2020 is one of the most important years in decades. It's obviously the time when COVID went around the world. America had this colossal meltdown with the Black Lives Matter movement and all these riots and protests and this very strong response from the police. We obviously had the election in America too. All around the world, there was, it was just so newsworthy. But I'm going to say to you, do we erect a statue for George Floyd? And immediately as soon as I say that name, I know you know who I'm talking about. He wasn't the only person of color in America who was killed by the police. Everything that happened to George, and I've been one of the people who've watched the video, you know, more than eight minutes, you've got that police officer leaning on his neck, suppressing him, and he's begging and pleading. It is heartbreaking and terrible and awful. 
but he wasn't the only one. There were three during 2020 in America. Can you name the other two? I'll pause it for a moment, because as soon as I say their names, your brain will go, oh yeah, because it'll, it'll ring a bell, you'll go, I knew that. But no, pause this, and can you write down those names? The answer is Brianna Taylor and Rayshard Brooks. Hmm? Now, I'm going to say out of the three of them, probably Brianna Taylor is the most devastating. She was a paramedic in her own home, in her own bedroom when she was shot by the police, who were basically storming her house. You know, that's absolutely disgusting and disgraceful. When it comes to George Floyd, he's a bit complicated. He absolutely should not have been killed by the police. His death is everything wrong with the US law enforcement, full stop. But he wasn't some kind of civil rights activist. This is a man who had already been arrested for eight different crimes. He'd spent four years in prison. And the reason why the police were there in the first place is because he was allegedly trying to pass off a phony $20 note, a fake $20 note. Now, it will always say allegedly because that crime was never followed up because a much bigger crime happened. And so this is the thing. If, if George Floyd had spent his $20 and then just gone down the street and, I don't know, eaten a sandwich or whatever, we would not be talking about him today. It's because of how he died and the obvious injustice and racism of it that's made him important. But to start deifying him, start making him a martyr, yes, he died horribly and unfairly and unlawfully. But was his life before that something we should all admire and look up to? I mean, one of the crimes he was in, you know, these aren't minor crimes. One of them was aggravated burglary. That means there was violence involved in the burglary. Any of you guys want to be the victim of an aggravated burglary? Because I know I don't. So I'm not, I'm pleased. I'll say nothing else negative about George Floyd, but to therefore say he gets a statue and somebody else doesn't, it does show you the double standards. Now, one of the things in America which absolutely is terrible is an awful lot of the US in the South, these Confederate statues were actually put up in the 50s and 60s. They're not 100 years old. They are 50 years old because they were put up by various white power, white supremacist, racist governors and town officials and mayors around the South to remind the black minorities of these towns and places that the whites have the power. That serves no historical purpose. That is basically trying to create a false narrative in the modern world. Tear them down, tear them down now. But again, maybe this should be documented to show how this is a symbol of modern day civics pushing back very unfair racist civics from 50, 60 years ago. It gets complicated, people. So the next time you just say, you know, tear it down, do this, do that. Yeah, it, it, it's more complicated than that. And of course, if all Confederate statues in the South were destroyed, is that the end of racism in the South of America or in America full stop? Sadly, not. These statues have become almost like back in ancient Egyptian times, perhaps too much emphasis is being put on them. Does it really matter? How often do you spend time staring at statues in your local park? How often does it lead you to go onto, at the very bare minimum, go onto the Wikipedia page of these individuals to find out more? Because this is the thing, and this is 
what I've known and why I'm doing this podcast. People don't learn history from history books. People don't learn history from statues. They learn bits of history from TV shows, from video games, from movies. Far more people will have ever seen a movie like Gladiator than to have read Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. So yeah, that's the reality of this situation and why I wanted to do one on statues. I don't have a simple solution. What I do know is that there needs to be a conversation and just because, and, and the final thing I'm going to say, actually, before I do the final thing, love to get your thoughts on this online. Please be nice and be aware that you talking to me on Twitter, other people haven't listened to the podcast. So yeah, please don't get me canceled. At Jem Daduchu on Twitter, please, if you can tell somebody about the podcast, if you can subscribe, if you can share, if you can click the links and all that stuff, if you could give us a review on whatever podcast format you're listening to this on, please, it all helps. Really, thank you very much. The numbers are growing and they continue to grow, but I'd love them to grow a little bit faster. Putting a lot of effort and work into this, so thank you. Yeah, but the final thing I'm going to say is who stands up to that level of scrutiny? Who is the individual that a hundred years later never said anything racist or homophobic or sexist or transphobic or every single thing they did as president or prime minister worked great and everybody was happy with them? You know the answer to that. They don't exist. And whereas we can turn around and say maybe we shouldn't be admiring people whose views and visions are very outdated. I'm going to go back to somebody like Nelson and going, giving your life to stop your country from being invaded is a concept that doesn't go out of fashion. And whereas Nelson was a very flawed man and had lots of issues about him, to remember his good parts perhaps reminds us about our best parts as well. Thanks very much for listening. And as always, there'll be a new podcast coming out soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.